Welcome to Moses and the Burning Bush, Lesson 29 in our Old Testament Bible History series. Our last lesson sped through 400 years of history. The next several chapters slow down and describe only about one year. Follow along in today's lesson in Exodus 3 and 4. Please let me begin by asking you a question. What are the gifts that God has given you? Do you enjoy drawing, painting, and art? What about music and making music? Perhaps exploring the outdoors is something you really enjoy. Or maybe it's working and creating with your hands. It's good to remember that God has made you precisely the way he wanted to, with the skills that you need to glorify him. It's good to remember to thank God for the skills that he has blessed us with. Find out in this story how Moses complains about the skills God has given him. My second question is a short one. What's the difference between a slave and a son? They might look the same, but they have a very different future. The one only knows about the captivity of being a slave. The other only knows about the freedom of being a son. In this story, see if you can find the time where the slave becomes a son. Moses has been tending the sheep in Midian for 40 years. But today will be a different day. The sun is shining, beating on the rocks, and a light breeze moves the bushes. And suddenly, Moses stops the flock of sheep because look, over there, off to the side, Moses sees a brilliant fire that has completely surrounded a dry bush. But... The fire keeps burning, but the bush is not burned or damaged. Moses moves closer for a better look. The angel of the Lord appeared in this fire to Moses and calls out to Moses, Moses, Moses. Knowing that it was God that spoke out of this brilliant blaze of fire, Moses answers, here am I. And then God speaks again, Come no closer, Moses. Remove your shoes, because you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses is stunned. He takes his sandals off and hides his face in his robe, afraid to look at this majestic sight. God continues, I have seen the affliction of my people. I have heard the cries of my people. I know their sorrows. I have come to save them and to bring them to a promised land. Moses' heart is thrilled to hear this joyful news, but he trembles at God's next announcement that it would be he, Moses, who would be God's servant 
to lead this nation to freedom. Oh, Moses is to be the one that goes to Pharaoh to tell him to let the Israelites go. Moses is not so quick to obey. Listen to five excuses or questions that Moses has. <clears throat> First, Lord, he said, his voice trembling, I can't do it. Who am I? Well, the Lord comes to him with a stunning promise. Moses, don't forget, I will be with you. I will help you. Second, Moses asks, who art thou? He says, the people will ask who sent me. What do I tell them? The Lord answers by giving his very special name. He says, I am who I am. I am Yahweh. I will be who I will be. But also, I will be what I was. God calls himself what he is, and he is what he calls himself. Tell them that Yahweh has sent you. This name, Yahweh, is God's personal name and gives us a sense of his eternal, unchanging nature. It also gives us a sense of God's relationship to his people. If you read John 8, verse 58, you will read that the Lord Jesus identifies himself as this same eternal God. Verily, verily, he says, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. God continues urging Moses, now go to the elders of Israel and tell them that you have heard from me, Yahweh, that I will deliver them from slavery and bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey. They will believe you, Moses. Moses is also warned that it will be impossible to convince Pharaoh to let them go. Moses' next question is, what if they don't believe me? The Lord is patient with Moses and he gives him three signs that he can show to the people as proof that God has for sure appeared to him and sent him. Moses, he says, what is that in your hand? That's my shepherd's staff, Moses said, referring to the long stick that shepherds carry. Throw it on the ground is God's command. When Moses does that, the staff turns into a poisonous snake. Moses is terrified, but when he snatches it by the tail, it turns into a staff again. Next, Moses is told to put his hand inside his robe, and when he pulls it out, it's covered with sores. Moses returns his hand inside his robe, and his hand is completely healed. If they don't believe that, Take some water from the Nile, pour it on the land, and it will turn to blood. They will believe these signs is God's promise. Moses continues to protest. <clears throat> Moses continues to protest with a fourth reason. I'm not really that good at talking. 
It's always been hard for me. God's merciful reply is to ask Moses, Moses, who gave you that mouth? Do you see why we shouldn't complain about the talents that we have? God has given them to us. God has given them to Moses. God reassures Moses that he will teach Moses what Moses should say. What an amazing promise of help. By the way, it is promised that Jesus Christ would be like Moses, only greater than him. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 18, it is promised about Christ the same things that were true of Moses. Finally, Moses gives a fifth reason that shows he just was not willing at all to do this work. Lord, he says, please just send someone else. God promises Moses that his brother Aaron will do the work alongside him. Moses would tell Aaron what to say, and Aaron would tell the people of Israel. The two would do the work together. Let me just mention again what I said in our last lesson, that Moses is a picture of what Christ would do more perfectly in the future. Moses was called now to deliver God's people from Pharaoh. He seemed to be quite unwilling and resisting this call. But consider the Lord Jesus' attitude towards his own divine mission. The psalmist sings about it in Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Jesus was very willing to do what God called him to do. After receiving Jethro's permission to leave, Moses takes Zipporah and his two sons, Gershom and Eliezer, and he sets out towards Egypt. He makes sure to take that shepherd's staff with him. This will be a symbol of God's authority. In chapter 4, verse 20, it is called the rod of God. In verse 19, we see that Moses, on a divine mission to Egypt, is encouraged with the news that all the men are dead, which sought thy life. Nearly the same words were spoken by the angel of the Lord in Matthew 2, verse 20. You see, enemies were looking to kill the young boy, Jesus, when Joseph and Mary fled to Egypt for safety. And when it was time to return to Israel, they were encouraged by an angel of the Lord that they are dead which sought the young child's life. On the way to Egypt, Moses receives clearer instruction from God about what to say. Look at verse 22. Thus saith the Lord, is how he is to begin speaking. He is coming in the name of the great Yahweh. Further, he is commanded to tell Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son. Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, I will slay your firstborn son. This is a special new thing here. 
This language of being a son is new. A little further on, we read in verse 24 that God sought to kill Moses. Now, this may seem strange if you think that God is trying to kill the one who he just appointed as messenger. But from Moses' point of view, it seemed that he was going to die because he was experiencing God's anger against him. You see, Moses had sinned by not circumcising his son. Zipporah performs the circumcision and God's wrath is turned away. If Moses was going to lead the covenant people, then he needed to keep the covenant himself by ensuring that his sons were circumcised. After meeting Aaron, Moses is well received by the leaders of Israel in Egypt. They believe all that he told them and showed them, just as God had promised. When they learn of God's concern for them, the leaders of Israel bow their heads and worship God. This brings us to an end of the story. But maybe you are thinking, well, how is this important for me today? This is important for us today because this story helps us understand how God continues to work even today. I would like to pause for a moment and just look at two things with you. First, at the burning bush, we can learn about who God is, that is, Yahweh. Second, we can also learn about what God does. He is a God who saves. First, let's revisit the burning bush. There it is, burning but not damaged. The fire blazes on, completely surrounding the bush, but the bush is not burned up at all. Remember that fire is often a symbol that is used to represent the presence of God's divine majesty. Also observe that the fire blazes on by itself. It does not need any fuel. And that reminds us that God is eternal and does not need anything outside of himself. He has always existed and does not need food or drink like we do. God does not depend on others for life. We owe our life to God, but God exists out of himself. So God is eternal and God is also holy. We know that because Moses was told to take his shoes off. The ground is not just regular ground like the sheep were walking on. It was holy ground. Now, it was the same ground, but it was made holy because the majestic and the divine one was here. I think... This is the first connection of the word holy with God. So we should spend some time here. What is it to be holy? Well, God is holy. And God is the only one that is perfectly 
holy. You know that God is perfectly righteous, right? Well, that is part of his holiness. God is someone other than us. God is separate. That's what holy is. Separate, set apart. God is the divine God. We are human. God is the creator. We are the creature. 1 Samuel 2, verse 2, makes it really clear. There is none holy as the Lord. So, do you understand now why Moses could not come any closer? Moses is in the presence of the Holy One, and he feels his unholiness. Moses looks away, and he hides his face. There needs to be separation between the holy and the unholy between the divine and the human. This is a very serious thought. Only holy ones can survive in God's presence. This is why this event is very important for us today. How can you and I survive before a holy God? The only way is by being holy. But we aren't. We are unholy. But there is a wonderful solution. The work of the Lord Jesus Christ is to make unholy sinners holy. He is our holiness. He is able to take unholy sinners and to present them holy and unblameable and unreprovable in God's sight. You can find that in Colossians 1, verse 22. Does that interest you? To be made holy, you can only find it in the Lord Jesus. Second, let's look a little at what God does in this story. We learn that God is a God who saves. He is a saving God. What did Moses have to say unto Pharaoh? The message was that Pharaoh was to let them go for three days to worship their God. Moses was instructed in chapter 4, verse 22, to say to Pharaoh that Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Let my son go that he may serve me. If Pharaoh refused, the threat was there that Pharaoh's firstborn son would be killed. So this story now is seen in the light of a father's love for his son. Pharaoh hated them as slaves, but God loved them as a son. Moses was going to call this son Israel out of Egypt. But did you know that Jesus is also the Son of God that is called out of Egypt? In Matthew 2, verse 15, we learn that the Lord Jesus spent time in Egypt so that a prophecy would come true. And that prophecy is, out of Egypt have I called my Son. And so, yes, that's what God does. 
He is a God that saves. He saves from Egypt. He also saves to the promised land. That means that this story is very important for us today because it's not a history story only of how God saved then, but it is a story of how God saves now. Israel was rescued from slavery in Egypt and brought to freedom in the promised land. Being saved can be pictured as being brought from slavery to freedom. That's the work of Christ. He turns captive slaves into free sons. Sinners are not only saved from sin and hell, but they are saved to something else. They are saved to live with God forever. Those who have faith in Christ are called the sons of God. Sinners will be changed into the image of the Son of God. And this is why Jesus is called the firstborn among many brethren. They will all resemble him. Let me prove that from the Bible, from Galatians 3, verse 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Now that brings us to an end of our lesson on Moses and the burning bush. We have learned about Moses at the burning bush. We have learned of God as holy, as eternal. We have learned of him as a God that saves. And in our next lesson, we will listen in when Moses goes to Pharaoh to say, let my people go.